This week, we talk about learning from our failures. Welcome to the Rural Pastor Podcast with your host, Andy Addis, and special guest, Mark Clifton. We plant the seeds in the ground, though the fields have long been brown. But Lord, when will your harvest come in? I'm giving all I've got to give in the place where I've been sent. But will my labor make much difference in the end? Will no one ever know? Sometimes I feel so all alone. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken. With a message of hope To that church on the corner Of that forgotten little town To a room of empty peers Where his love can still be found You may never know of all the seeds you sow But it just takes one willing soul to make him know One willing soul, that's who we're trying to reach, those rural pastors who are laying it all on the line. We want to pour into, partner with, and pat on the back, you, the rural pastor, because what you're doing is important. My name is Andy Addis. I'm the volunteer rural strategist for the North American Mission Board Replant Team, and I am also a practitioner as I pastor a rural multi-site called Crosspoint. With me today, the incredible, illustrious, I wish I had a better term for you, it's Mark Clifton. Technically challenged, Mark Clifton. <laughs> they don't need to know what the last 20 minutes were all Listen, about. Listen, the last 20 minutes of me trying to get my microphone to work, and believe it or not, my headphones on my head, uh, <laughs> they fold up weird, and it was uh, it was a frustrating 20 minutes. I have to tell you, uh, that's I, a personal just, joy, Mark, to watch on Zoom you fight those headphones that only I headphones. will be able to enjoy. I am. Listen, I'm leaving today and I'm going, I'm going to find a radio shack somewhere. There's got to be one that's still open that has old school headphones that don't fold up. I don't understand the need for fold up headphones because you got to twist them and turn them and get them just right. I'm trying not to think about it because it's hard to focus. That was just one of the best parts of my week, Mark. It was. I couldn't, I couldn't get them to. It was terrible. It looked like you were in one of those folding chairs that was consuming you. Yes, and I would get them on, and they would flop off because I didn't have it right. And then I would be very frustrated and, you know, and pray and ask for peace. You know, this is a perfect setup because we're going to talk about learning from our failures. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, that was a failure. We've had, we've had a couple experiences, very low bar uh, experiences, but but what 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 an opportunity! And the reason we're talking about this is that so many of us feel, especially when we're in small, what we what many would consider out of the way places, uh, that what we're doing is failing so often. And everybody right. fails, everybody does, right. but it can't you can't let it consume you. I was talking to an ASM associational or AMS. I always get that backwards. Associational mission strategist, and and he got kind of an upsetting letter from somebody who was really just not pleased and uh, his response was sounds like I need to come see you and they went you'd come all the way out here and he goes be there for lunch 
There and, you go. And when they when he got there, he said, "Yeah, it was it was just a matter of feeling disconnected." And and so it made everything seem worse, right? It made every little struggle, every little pain, every little failure. So we want to talk about failure today. And uh, our opening question is this: What failure has taught you best? I don't know if you want to go first, or you want me to go first, but. Uh, well, I do know that all through junior high and high school, uh, the one uh, athletic compliment I continued to receive, in fact, it was the only athletic compliment I ever received in junior high and high school, was a good eye. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Good eye. Way to stand there <laughs> and let it go by. That's, that's about it. Good eye, Clifton. That's the most we can hope for. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with failure. Uh, now, when I was at Warnell, first went to Warnell Road Baptist Church, you know, 20 people, and uh, we're going to have a big vacation Bible school for the neighborhood. So I get this big church from Alabama to come. They have this big, huge over-the-road bus. They have 30, 35 teenagers and 10 or 12 workers, and, you know, they're all decked out in their identical T-shirts, and mm. they unload all the VBS material and we go door to door. We have a VBS carnival on the Saturday before. You know how, Andy? We had one little girl come to our VBS. Oh my goodness! Just one. Just one. Just one. Yeah, it's just one. And it was. I was so. I felt so bad about those kids who came all the way from Alabama, and then when the when the little girl's mother came to pick her up, I was hoping that she didn't realize she was the only kid in Bible school. But her mother said. Did you have a good day today? She said, yeah, I was the only one here. And so <laughs> the mother said to me, well, she was the only one in her age group. And the little girl said, no, I was the only kid here. And the mother got this look on her face like, what have I done to my daughter? <laughs> anyway, I had to learn a lot about stuff then. And I knew that at Warnell things were going to be different. I couldn't just pull stuff out of my old toolkit and say, mm. we're going to have VBS and all the kids are going to come. And it was a to say it was a discouraging week is an understatement. But I learned from it. All right. And that's so, the key, right? You got to learn from it. Yeah, um, absolutely. In my first or second year here at Crosspoint, uh, we decided that the way we're going to we're going to really hit it hard. We're going to buy TV ads. And we had a, a national company that uh, produced these ads and stuck our name on the end of it. And then they planned out where we we're going to put them. And, and we spent almost five thousand dollars on the project, which to us could have been a million. I mean, it was mm -hmm. it was out there. And, uh, and I'm not trying to one-up you at all, but here's the issue. After three months of that project, we could not count a single person who had either seen them or come because, because <laughs> well, of Even them. seen them. Even seen them. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like, no, no, they were on at 3 a.m. on ESPN2. I can't believe you didn't see that. <laughs> And so, but we did learn, we did learn. We have, um, until social media started uh, marketing stuff, we didn't spend another dime. We And this doesn't mean it's prescriptive for you, but for us, we never spent another dime on TV, on radio, on anything. It was all word of mouth. We just said, that's not where we're going to meet people. We're, we're going to do this differently. So you got to learn from it, right? Well, and what we've always said was, what I've always said and when we lead conferences and uh, everything you do is an experiment. Mm. You don't make it a win-lose scenario. So that was an experiment. And you learn from every experiment, and it's a it's a good opportunity to learn, and you just got to do it. And if you're not willing to do some things that might not work, you'll end up probably not doing anything at all, to be frank about it. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And just because you said that, let's use this moment as an advertisement. Something coming up at the end of August called the Replant Summit. Um, We want to invite any of you who, if you can get there, it is the most inexpensive but highly beneficial conference I think that that I'm aware of. For anybody who's especially in a rural church that's needing some revitalization or some replant uh, thoughts going into your system. And uh, we'll put in the show notes in the in the link wherever you're getting this from you'll be able to see uh, how to how to get there and register but we'd love to see you there and mark you and i are both going to be there aren't we we are and some other great people and good speakers and good music and good fellowship and and it, it is a place you absolutely want to be it uh is encouraging and it is insightful and uh, i'm seriously it's transformational a number of guys have told me that was that was the moment that was the event when they realized that they were a revitalizing pastor and the road that they were going to take, and it really affirmed them in what they're doing. So, uh, man, if you've, like most of us, been failing a lot lately, <laughs> well, join join 150 other guys who've been there with you, and uh, we'll learn from each other. Because, really, this is a conference. It's not a conference where the really high achievers come and talk about how they've blown the doors off of everything. Amen. It is a conference where guys come and talk about what it's like to be in the trenches every single day and how God still does some amazing things in some very difficult places. Yeah. If you need to hear about that, then you need to be with us. And I've been there the last couple of years. I think one of the side benefits is you make friends there. And be, be, it oh, yeah. increases your network of guys who are doing what you're doing. It's a it's a fantastic deal. But that that is in line with what we're talking about. But what we're specifically focusing on for the last few weeks, we've got this week and next week to wrap up on this theme. We've been talking about personal revival, personal renewal. And as we have, we've been doing just different RE words, restoration, resurrection, you know, just all these different uh, concepts right. theologically, but all stemming from Psalm 51, that great passage in which David confronts Nathan and he says, you're the man. And David has a choice to make. He can either kill the prophet or he can uh, kill his self uh, and and be raised (laughs) up (laughs) anew. And thanks be to Jesus, he decides to go the route of repentance. So we made it all the way in Psalm 51 to verse 13. I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. And uh, and what's interesting is the the RE word this week is uh, to, to relay or to rely, to rely on God before you relay his message. So here's what it says in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. I just think that this is a fantastic beginning because what it's showing us is that at the end of redemption, at the end of restoration, at the end of renewal, then I will teach transgressors your ways. One of the struggles I think we have in ministry is that we don't deal with our own house. We don't deal with what's going on in our own heart. And we're not going to be able to make the connections and have the spiritual power and impact that we need to uh, because God wants to deal with us first. So teaching others is basic. When When it says that, then I will teach transgressors your ways, it's this. You can turn your trial into reaching others. We can turn our failures. We can turn our brokenness into a, a joyous faith, and that's infectious, right? Um, you, you just said a moment ago, we're not going to a conference that has all these guys who killed it. We're going to a conference who have the struggles. I firmly believe one of the things that happened in the early days of Crosspoint was that people wanted to come and listen, and they said this, it's because not only do you preach the Bible, but but you're an idiot like I am. 
I heard that so many times. I thought it was a script they had, and I'm the, the, you're an idiot like I am. You're 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 a dummy like I am. You you made mistakes like I've made, and I think that vulnerability and that history of walking through something with the Lord is what people need to hear. They don't want they're ne- if you're in the NBA. Um, you're, you're a great inspiration, but you're not a model for many people. You're, you're too many steps above what you need. What they're looking at is the guy on the court that, uh, they need to, they need to match them. Does that make sense? It does. And I I think what you're talking about there too, is an authenticity that you have and a genuineness that you have with your flock and, uh, being vulnerable to them. Uh, now let's be honest. Uh, there's a line you have to be careful not to cross. Mm. You, you can't use your church as your therapist. Uh, Amen. <laughs> and I've seen some guys do that. So uh, we're not talking about just getting up there on Sunday morning and just unloading everything that's you know going wrong in your life. But I think sharing that you struggle with these things, you, oh, the Apostle Paul did, right? I mean, he would say, I have to daily, uh, one version says, beat my body in submission. I'm not worthy of the gospel I preach. Paul said, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of what we faced when we were in Asia. We thought we were under the penalty of death. Mm. I mean, Paul, Paul was quite honest at times about what he was experiencing, even about the thorn in the flesh. You know, I had this thorn in the flesh, and three times, who can't identify with a thorn in the flesh? Mm. And so I, I think God wants to use our failures. Uh, you know, Spurgeon used to say he wanted his infirmities, and you could say failures, infirmities, weaknesses, whatever, Spurgeon said, I want my infirmities to be a platform on which to display the grace of God. Amen. And basically, there's probably no better place to display the grace of God than in our human weaknesses. And people look at us and, and say, wow, you know, he's, he's really been through a lot, but he's still able to, to have faith and to be positive and to have hope in the midst of all that darkness. And so sometimes the failures that we have are opportunities for, for God to really use those failures in our life to encourage people who are failing all around us. I mean, you know, our friend Frank Lewis, he he has said so wonderfully well that statistically, when you get up to preach on Sunday morning, half the people you preach to, or excuse me, all of the people you preach to, not half, all the people you preach to, uh, their life will be impacted either by addiction or by cancer uh, before they die, either them, a loved one, or someone they're very close to. Wow. Yeah. So everybody you talk to on Sunday morning needs hope, and they don't need some kind of a false, you know, phony uh, kind of stuff. They need authentic, real hope that comes from really the crucible of, of the difficulty and the challenges of life. And uh, and your pastor, as a pastor, you have to have hope. You have to share hope, but that hope has to be genuine, and it has to be the kind of hope that says, I can have hope because I've been in the darkest night. I've been through the deepest valley and he was just as faithful there as he was on the mountaintop that's, that's so what we're talking about and people will resonate with it the people that you're preaching to whether you're preaching to 550 or 500 the people that you're preaching mm-hmm. to will resonate when they go okay this guy gets where i am right yeah. that there's a credibility right. in your preaching and this is the opposite of contemporary believers coming out of brokenness david was saying that he was now in a position to teach i like that that then there is like before that i was a hypocrite before that i was a king and a warrior but now because i've gone through this because i've repented now i will teach transgressors your ways and and you know um i'll never forget uh, i was recently in a in a conference a service a large service where a very well-known pastor, extremely well-known pastor, uh, you would almost 
I wouldn't say celebrity pastor because that's not really what he was, but he was very well known, had pastored incredibly large church. And in an incredibly tactful way, Andy, and in a hugely surprising way, even to me, he began to unpack this immense pain that he went through mm. when one of his children became addicted, one of his adult children uh, addicted, actually to alcohol, and how it, and here he says, you know, I'm the pastor of this large church. Do I keep it? Do we try to keep it quiet? Do we just tell the deacons? What What do we do? You know, how do we do? And and in a very tactful way, he went through the process of how long that took mm. to deal with that child, how difficult it was, how still to this day you're always concerned about relapses, and yeah. and you go, I, you could just feel it in the room. All these men, all of all of a sudden, their heart went out to this pastor, right? And they they. They resonated with him because, trust me, every pastor in that room has a child, a Everybody. grandchild, a niece, a nephew. Everybody's got that. Mm -hmm. And and he, you know, he wasn't asking for sympathy, and he, he was just saying, we've all been through this, and, and God is grateful. God is gracious enough and powerful enough to carry you through this. And then he gave some very specific ways to get through it. This is what he said when you, in the dark times. You need to have a scripture verse. And so he talked about mm. how you've got to have a verse that you lean into. You need to have a hymn or a song that goes through your mind and you can sing. You need to have some friends around you that can pray with you and care for you. He gave some very practical things. And you could just feel in the room, guys were like, I'm not the only one. Yeah. It's okay to talk about this. And it's like, absolutely it is. Um, because come, some would say, right, let's be careful. Some would say, well, you're a pastor. Right. And your kid's messed up. You have been a failure. Right. And uh, you haven't run your household you know, well. Said, You're no longer qualified. Exactly. Exactly. And he brought that up. He said, that was the first thing I thought. Do I go to my deacons and say, I can't be the pastor anymore because I'm not handling my household well. So just that authenticity had the way he handled it was such gentleness and, and compassion um, and kept the privacy of his child as well it was it was a wonderful experience for these pastors and for me personally and it really helped me a lot in my life and has helped me help others so well what you just piper used to say well as piper used to say don't waste your cancer don't oh, don't waste yeah. your your trouble on yourself uh let god speak to you and use it in other people's lives what you just displayed is exactly what david was saying right there that then you saw this pastor who had walked through it if he'd have preached about that it would have had so yep. little weight, but because he'd walked yep. through it, then he could teach transgressors your ways. Oh, isn't that right? And so, what, so true. whatever's in your past, whatever whatever junk you got back there, redeemed, I believe firmly that this is what Romans is talking about when he says God can use all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. that, that thing in the past is not good, but it mm -hmm. can be used for good when you are called according to his purpose. But that purpose comes through that that filter of the repentance and the renewal and all these things that we've been talking about. So here, here we go. When we talk about relying on him to relay that message, the first thing is we get to teach others. The second thing is after we come out of this, when God's done this great thing, we praise God. We teach others, then we praise God. The word for sing aloud there, it says, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. In the Hebrew, it means a ringing cry. And, uh, uh, I guess uh, my wife calls it the Elvis whenever we start singing hymns. I mean, I'll, I'll sing some praise and worship music. You know, I, I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be obedient. But, man, when we sing hymns, 
I love it, man. I just belt those things out. And she says this when I channel my inner Elvis. And uh, we were we were actually at a church uh, a couple of weeks ago with the weekend off, and the woman in front of us, elderly woman, turned around after the service and she goes, "I really enjoyed your singing," which tells me I'm singing a, I'm singing a little too loud. <laughs> A little too loud, yeah. That's what that <laughs> but, means. but a ringing cry. And I don't think it's about volume, but I think it's about we should be able to praise God even for the stuff that we've come through because of what he's oh. done in us in a way that is a ringing cry. Amen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and all of us have, have, have struggled and battled with sin and failure and challenges, and God has been faithful. And if we'll repent, uh, like I said before, you know, run to the fountains of repentance. Repentance is a wonderful place. It's a refreshing place and a renewing place. We come out of that repentance. We're able to share with other people what a joyous thing it is to repent and how, how life becomes so different once you've repented and you've allowed God to work that wonderful work of cleansing in you. Mm. And uh, again, as a pastor, you, you want to be cautious. You don't want to talk about every sin you've ever committed publicly to your church. And, Absolutely. And, you know, and I've, I've seen guys do that, to be frank about it. I've, I've seen some guys have some really poor wisdom and just feel like, hey, like you don't need hey, you don't need to commit. You don't need to confess every sin to the entire church. That's right. That's confess, right. confess sins to the Lord and maybe to those you sinned against. But uh, but let the church know that you are in an ongoing relationship with God, that daily you have to confess your sin. Daily you have to seek forgiveness. Daily, as Paul said, you have to really battle your flesh or you're not going to be worthy of the gospel you preach. Paul didn't say I ran the good race. He, excuse me, he didn't say I, I sang the good song or, or walked the good walk. Mm. He said I fought the good fought, fight or I've run the good race. It, it's it's a competition. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's not easy. And we have to have to understand that and uh, and live it and show it when we do live it. And your pastor friend that you talked about that that talked about the pain that he went through. Um, but what he didn't do is he didn't spend an hour throwing his son under the bus. When when we no. confess, we never confess our wife's sins. We never confess no. our children's sins. No. Uh, no. But but we we talk, if, if you're going to before you cross that line, if you're going to talk about your own life, you're going to talk about your own life. Uh, and that is, I think that's essential because that the, where one gives you credibility, the other robs you of credibility. Oh, totally. So, Completely. Oh, that's such a good word, Andy. Yeah, it has to be. So um, when we rely to relay, we're going to teach others, we're going to praise God. And then the third one is we're going to testify powerfully. And I love a good testimony. Uh, you know, I think sometimes I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade on our on our Baptist brothers, but our Pentecostal brothers, they know how to give a they know how to give a testimony. Right. <laughs> because our. They know how to come forward to and, and, and get to the, get to the altar. I, hey, look, Amen. I'm 63 years old, and trust me, uh, 40 years ago, testimony meetings in Baptist churches were pretty common. It'd awesome. be a lot of times on Sunday nights uh, where the pastor would just say, "Does anybody have a good word they want to share?" And look, it was risky. You'd get some guy that would get up there and he'd ramble on forever, or some lady talk about. <laughs> Or the corns on her feet, you know, but 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 <laughs> but you'd also get some really wonderful, wonderful things that that I remember as a kid, how important it was to hear hear those guys give their testimonies. Yeah, and when and, they and I miss that. And when you're, pra- I know what you're saying. There's always a danger. They talk about your liver. You talk about your stomach. Talk about your yeah. ulcers. It becomes what they yeah. call an organ recital, <laughs> right? Because you you're just going through it all. <laughs> uh, but but in between there, even, even the risk of letting others testify, but for yourself, I've been, I've been pastoring the same church for 20 plus years now. And I've given my testimony about my salvation experience at least 40 times, a couple times a year. I'll tell you. And what, what I found though, is that, uh, it it doesn't matter how many times I give it and I'll apologize for it. I know most of you've heard this before and I'll give this every time. Don't, don't apologize. Just tell that story. Tell that story. 
Yeah. And you know, my salvation story is um, a lot like people who grew up in church. I, I, and I, every time I tell it, I, I literally, I, I, you're right. I have people come up to me and say, that was very helpful to me mm-hmm. uh, because I, you know, I, I gave everything I knew and understood about myself to everything I knew and understood about God at age six. Well, at age 12, uh, I knew a lot more about myself and a lot more about God, and I had some real doubts about whether I was really saved mm-hmm. at age six, which is what often happens, you know. And what does that mean? And struggling with all of that. So, you know, I kept going forward on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights asking for assurance of salvation. And when your dad's the pastor, uh, that's a little, <laughs> that doesn't build a lot of credibility <laughs> when his own kid can't get assurance. And so it's a long story. I won't get into no, it, but uh, I, I think we should do we should do a whole podcast yeah. on that, the assurance right. of salvation. And yes. uh, my, the pastor I grew up under actually had a theory as why kids go forward every year at camp. It's because we don't do a good job in the church it's in the year in between. Egg. That's exactly right. So, I, that, and so, you know, I was baptized again at age 12, but I'm confident that I was converted at mm. age six. I gave, I, I know I was, not everybody will be. I know that's a very young age, but whenever I've shared that, people who grew up in church and kind of had that same experience really relate to that. And, mm-hmm. and they're glad to hear a pastor share that kind of thing. So, yeah. And so don't be sheepish about it. We testify powerfully, but here's one part of this. As we go back to the text in verse 15, it says, Oh Lord, open my lips and let my mouth declare your praise. When, when we do testify, this is just some personal advice I want to give that we need to let the Lord open our lips, meaning that sometimes our testimonies tend to give more glory to the devil and what he did bad than the goodness that God did. And if God opens yeah. your lips, I mean, you can say, yes, I had an addiction. Yes, we had some brokenness. Don't dwell on the 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 drama of the story. Dwell on the glory of the Savior and and what He has That's done right. for you. The, the testimony yeah. needs to be about, but not be about where you were, but where you are in Him. Right? Yeah. Now. Don't don't dwell on the gory. Dwell on the glory. Oh, did you just uh, come up with that? I just did. Yeah. That's just what I do for a living, buddy. I <sighs> mean, just, that needs to go on a T-shirt. It, <laughs> that comes from a lifetime of people dwelling on the on the gory here in their testimony, 40 minutes of every. Okay. So, Oh no, <laughs> I won't tell you when, cause I don't want to, All right. but there was a time in recent times when I was to be the keynote preacher at an event and they had a guy that was going to give his testimony. Uh, he had a radical testimony, uh, before I preached and, uh, and he did. And, uh, Bob Bickford was with me and he can uh, testify to this and, it was just over an hour, and uh, we we went through every sin he committed oh, from the gosh. time. It started when he was a child, and he would go to the little grocery store near him and look for girly magazines. And so we heard about that and hide them in the trash can and then pull them. And I'm thinking, he's like my age. He's like 60. I think we're going to hear every sin. And sure enough, man, we heard them all. It went all the it was, and so we finally get to the end, right? Uh, I mean, it was it was a pretty wild ride. We get to the end, and then of course Jesus saves him, and then I'm supposed <laughs> to get up and, and preach. So you had 55 well, you know, minutes of the devil working. Well, yeah, and everybody's <laughs> all enamored by all these wonder, huge, gory, amazing, sinful stories, and like, so yeah, it was I, it was the very thing. It's like, man, you just glorified sin. You didn't you didn't really glorify Jesus at yeah. all. And, and I know he, I don't mean to pick on him that way, but. But you've got to be careful about that. Yes, please don't don't glorify the sin. Yeah, uh, it's there. Acknowledge it, and and then move on and focus on the salvation and on the glory. 
of God. Yeah, if yes. the Lord opens your lips, then he's He's going to open them for his glory. By the way, when you, when you do what you were talking about there, that that guy did, my problem is I think you're just giving ideas to the young bo- the young boys out there. This, <laughs> oh, this is how I get away with something. You, you got to figure it out. I never thought of that. <laughs> All right. So uh, as we come to a, a concluding thought here on this passage, we've seen God do so much in David's life as he's creating that clean heart in him and cleansing him. And, and, he, and now he comes to the place where after this renewal, he can relay to others because he's relied on him. He's going to teach others, praise God and testify powerfully. I would just say this, whatever you've got, and some of you are, have had some marriage struggles and some of you have had some ministry struggles and some of you've had some mm-hmm. personal struggles. We, we ever, Just understand this. If you can breathe right now, you have that in your history. Yeah. Uh, and if, if somebody says, I don't have that in my history, it's because they're making it right now. That's a lie that they're telling themselves. Uh, so right. so here, here's my formula for failing forward. How do you fail forward? First of all, you have to identify the failure. You got to call it out. In other words, whatever's happened, you don't sweep it under the rug. You don't excuse it. You don't. You, you just say, that was bad. And and if it's a sin, it's a sin. If it was just a mistake, it was a mistake. But you identify it. And then two, you diagram the scenario. What, what? How did that work? I mean, I'm one of those guys. I draw pictures. I'll stand in front of a whiteboard and draw everything out with circles and lines and connect it. I mean, if this took place and this was bad, what got me there? I need to diagram that. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to re-engineer that. Where did it go wrong? And 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 the third step is where, where did I lose track of what Jesus was doing in my life, so that number four I can launch 2.0 right yeah. <laughs> whatever took place. Everybody's got failures, but when I sit down and I'm married and I'm talking premarital counseling to a couple who's been married before, and whatever your thoughts are on that, or right, you know right. whatever investigation we have to do to get to that place, but I always say this: What are you going to do different this time? Mm-hmm. And this is the pattern that I lead them in: What went wrong in the past? How did you get to that place? How would you do it differently? And then now, how are you going to ensure that that's a different godly direction that you're going? And that way, you can actually use your failures as a way to move forward. You can build on that and and grow from it instead of wallowing in it. Good word. I love it. All right. I love it. So identify failure, diagram it out, re-engineer that thing, and then launch one more time. But our failure should not hold you back if that failure has been given to, forgiven by, and redeemed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have so much uh, that we can accomplish only because of him and what he has already done in us. And I just pray that, uh, that you would never take your failures and think that you are at a loss because you are his. Many blessings to you. We'll see you again on another episode of the Rural Pastor Podcast. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken with a message of hope. To that church on the corner of that forgotten little town, to a room of empty pews where his love can still be found. You may never know of all the seeds you've sown But it just takes one willing soul to make him Thank you so much for joining us at the RuralPastorPodcast.com. A special thanks to Chosen Road for this incredible theme music, to 180 Digital, our corporate sponsor, and you can check out both of them at our website as well as other resources because you're not alone. And Rural Pastor, we believe in you at the RuralPastorPodcast.com.